Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 457 with Gret Glyer. Gret has a wealth of insight when it comes to storytelling, and he's going to share how to be more persuasive with that tool. So you'll learn one, why stories succeed where statistics fail, two, what makes a story compelling, and three, how storytelling can earn you a promotion. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F457. Now here's Gret's story. Gret Glyer has helped raise over a million dollars through storytelling. He's the CEO of DonorC, the platform that shows you where your money is going to help real people in need with personalized video updates. From 2013 to 2016, Glyer lived among the world's poorest people in Malawi, Africa, where he built more than 150 houses for the homeless and crowdfunded $100,000 to build a girls' school in rural Malawi. Glyer has been featured in USA Today, National Review, HuffPo, Acton Institute, and is a TEDx speaker. He's currently fundraising for his first ever book on Kickstarter called If the Poor Were Next Door. So thanks to Gret for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Gret. Gret, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm excited to dig into this chat. But first, I want to hear a tale from you. I understand you've had some encounters with the wildlife of Africa. Tell us about them. That's right. So I spent several years living in a part of rural Africa. It's a country called Malawi. And while I was there, there was a place where you could get rent a sailboat and sail around this reservoir. You had to drive like 30, 40 minutes through these villages and on a dirt road and so forth. And eventually you got to this like oasis, like green trees and this really beautiful lake slash reservoir. And you could rent 10 or 15 boats just like in the middle of nowhere. So I went with, with some friends out to this uh, to this reservoir. We rented a boat and I had never sailed a boat myself, but I had been on other sailboats. So I thought I could manage it and it wasn't too big of a boat. And without, with there wasn't much time before a big gust of wind came over and almost knocked us over. And that was kind of scary. And so we thought, you know what, maybe we should turn around. But before we had the chance to do that, a second gust of wind, I can't even explain physically how this happened, but a second gust of wind, like 10 times stronger than the one that we had just gotten, again, blew us over, flipped our boat completely upside down. So our sail was pointing downward, like down into the water. And we, and it was like a violent flip. So we had, we were all scattered about. So I was the first one to crawl on top of the boat and I was sitting crisscross applesauce uh, on top of 
an upside down boat while I was like bringing my friends on the shore. And the guys on shore, they kind of saw what had happened and they sent a canoe out to rescue us and bring us in. And as we, as we were being brought in, there were a bunch of kids on shore who were, who were just shouting and pointing at the water and they just seemed really excited. So we're being pulled in by this boat and we turn around and right where our boat had flipped over, there was a hippo who had surfaced. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, that, so I was, I was a little bit like just in shock, but that's not, actually not where it ends. So we get, we get pulled into shore and I'm kind of shaking from what could have just happened. So I, I go up to the guy who is on shore kind of in, running the whole operation. And I ask him like, wow, I see the hippo out there. Is that like a, a dangerous hippo? Is it, is it deadly? And the guy said, no, it's not that dangerous. It's only killed like one person before. <laughs> and, and I thought, um, wow, we have different definitions of what isn't, isn't dangerous. So yeah, that was, <laughs> that was my first, uh, that was one of the first times I ever saw a hippo in real life and, uh, very scary, very dangerous experience. Now, just how big is a hippo when you are right there and this hippo in particular? Oh, they're, they're gigantic. In fact, I think one of the things that people don't realize, people think of lions as the deadliest animal, maybe crocodiles, but it's actually hippos are the deadliest animal in all of Africa. And it's just because they have these massive jaws. And whenever they collapse their jaws onto their prey, it's, it's several tons of force that's coming down and just completely crushing it. So they're very big. Mercy. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It's storytelling is the topic du jour. And I want to get your take on, you've got a real skill for this and have seen some cool results in terms of your nonprofit activities. And so maybe we could start with your story in Malawi and how you came to learn about just how powerful storytelling is. Sure. So I actually moved to Malawi right after college or a year after college. But before that, I was a private school kid. I went to a private college and I worked at a corporate job. And I was just, I lived in Northern Virginia, right outside Washington, DC. I lived in a very wealthy zip code. And that was all I knew. I was a wealthy person. I was around other wealthy people. And the people around me were like a little wealthier than I was. So I kind of thought I was poor just because I, you know, Mm -hmm. that was like the people who were surrounding me. And then when I moved to Malawi at the time, Malawi was ranked as the absolute poorest country on the entire planet. And I saw people who were living on a dollar a day and I was dumbstruck. Like that's the best way I can put it. I didn't know. I knew that intellectually, I knew that that type of poverty existed, but for someone with my background and my upbringing, I, it was like emotionally, I had never truly connected with that. Um, and so I moved to this place where, you know, my, some of my next door neighbors are living on a dollar a day and I'm just astounded at this level of poverty. And that's when I realized, um, that I wanted to do something about it. And so I started writing blog posts and I started making videos and eventually I started crowdfunding and, you know, there's, you could tell statistics all day long and the statistics are shocking, but they don't resonate with people on a deep level. And it was when I started learning about storytelling that I realized that storytelling is the vehicle by which I could get my message across. And the message I wanted to get across was, you know, there, we have our problems here in the developed world and, and those things are, are totally worth uh, exploring and do, doing something about. But I also think that uh, the message I have is I, I want to have a little bit more urgency about what's going on in these, uh, in, in these parts of the world where people are suffering from extreme poverty, people living on a dollar a day. So that was the catalyst for when I first got really interested in storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm curious then, 
Did you have some experiences then in which you shared some statistics and numbers and data things versus you shared a story and you saw differing responses and reactions? Yeah, actually, the very first time I ever did a crowdfunding campaign, I had this exact thing happen. So at first, what I did was I, I, I came across, and this was actually one of the first times I was exposed to true extreme poverty face to face. Because when I moved to Malawi, I was living on a compound and the compound I was living on had a lot more people like me, um, like a lot of people who had, were visiting from America and they were, they were teachers. So they were living there for the year. Um, but then I, you know, uh, this guy named Blessings had met me and he wanted to show me some stuff. So he brought me out to this village and, uh, we went deep into this village and that, that was kind of my first exposure to like the, when you think of like an African village with grass thatch huts, that was my first exposure to that type of setting. And he introduced me to this lady named Rosina. And, you know, the phrase skin and bones, um, that's used a lot, but that, that was like the true representation of what Rosina looked like at this time. I mean, she, she really looked like, uh, like she hadn't eaten in a long time. And in fact, she hadn't eaten in seven days when I met her. She was, mm. she was on the brink of starvation. It was a really sad situation. Um, and so blessings told me that I, uh, that this lady not only was, uh, didn't have enough food, but she also didn't have a house and she needed to build a house. Um, because rainy season was coming in a month. And if, uh, if you don't have a house during rainy season, you're in big trouble. So I asked him how much a house would cost. And he said it would be $800, which, you know, blew my mind coming from where I came from. Um, and uh, so what I did was I put together some, some statistics and some facts about people who need houses. And, um, I sent it to my friends back at home and I told them, uh, listen, uh, there, there are people who need houses here and houses cost this much. And this is the building materials we'll use. And, uh, lo and behold, I needed $800 and only $100 came in. For whatever reason, mm. the facts and figures didn't quite resonate with people. So then I took a different approach and I told Rosina's story. I told the story about this lady who um, had a really tough life and she's now a widow and she's in this tough situation through no fault of her own. And if it's not for the participation of my friends and the, the donors back at home, she's going to be in big trouble. Um, and it was that was like the that was that one moment where it clicked where I realized, okay, storytelling this is the key. This people don't emotionally connect with facts, but they will connect with another person and another story. Well, yeah, it, this is so meta. We're talking about data versus storytelling, and you're telling a story about telling a story, and you're sharing numbers about it. So I'm loving this. <laughs> so the first time you made your case with numbers, you got a hundred bucks. Second time you made the case with story, and what happened financially? Oh, the money came in within, I think it was within hours. It was definitely in within a day. But if I remember correctly, it was a few hours after I sent that email out to my friends and uh, the money came in easily. And and it came in, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of go a little bit further. Not only did the money come in and not only did people like send it over excitedly, but we built the house, Rosina got her house. And actually we, we put the roof on the house a day before rainy season. So time was of the essence and it barely, we barely got it. Oh wow! And Rosina was able to move in. And I actually just went to Malawi uh, a couple months ago and I got to go visit Rosina and she's still living in the same house that we built her. So that was a cool experience. Um, but what was interesting was after the house was built, people started to continue to send me $800 to build more houses for people, even though I did, I wasn't asking for it. They were just sending yeah. me money wow. um, because that story had resonated with them so deeply. And so maybe you don't recall the precise figure, but how many $800, you know, bundles and houses were you able to construct as a result? 
Uh, well, so it started off, you know, there, there'd be a few people who sent the, sent over the money and then I, we, I would make a video. And then I went home over the summer and I actually, uh, I met up with Scott Harrison, who's the CEO of Charity Water and he helped me get a 501c3 set up and he kind of gave me some advice. And so when I went back the next year, we started building more houses and we still, I, I've never wanted to grow this particular operation beyond what it is, but we, we've, we continue to build houses every month, even to this day. And, uh, the, we've, we've done over 150 houses in, in all of Malawi at this point. That's striking. Wow. So from 100 bucks to 150 times 80 bucks. And in the early days, it was even from the same people, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of being able to do multiple houses, whereas you couldn't even do an eighth beforehand. So that is compelling stuff. And sometimes I get stuck in the numbers because I'm fascinated. I'm a former strategy consultant and I love a love a good spreadsheet and pivot table. And so <laughs> I, it's natural for you to just go there without stopping to think. It's like, okay, what's really the story here? And, and well, tell me, what makes a story good, compelling, interesting, motivating versus just like, okay, whatever, dude. Yeah, I think what it is about a story, especially if you're trying to persuade another person or you're trying to get someone to see your side of things, I think what's compelling about a story is the person you're talking to, they can see themselves within the story, whereas they can't necessarily see themselves within a set of data. So you can look at a spreadsheet all day long and you can see these facts and figures. Um, and, and that will, that's very persuasive to, you know, a small subset of, of people. Uh, probably a lot of your audience really likes the data and the figures and that's really good. But for most people, for a general audience, they're going to resonate deeply when they can see themselves as part of a story. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Matthew Lunn on a previous episode and he was a story supervisor for Pixar. And that was one of the main things he said in terms of a lot of stories that they need to kind of fix or clean up or consult, tweak, edit, have that challenge. It's like, yeah, the audience can't really see themselves in the shoes of the protagonist or hero. And, and therefore, we're going to have to somehow make that individual more relatable in order for that to really compel the viewers. So, okay, cool. So that's one piece is that you can relate to it like, whoa, I've had a hard time, you know, with regard to losing something and having some urgency with regard to, you know, needing some help or else uh, we're going to be at a tight spot. And boy, that here we have it in a real big way in the case of her home and with urgency as well. So I'm thinking, not stealing your thunder, but what element is relatability to you and, and that person? Are there any other key components? Yeah, when it, I mean, when it comes to storytelling, there's a lot of different tips that I I would love to share. I almost don't want to share the tips because then people will be trying to do the tips instead of just be just doing like what they really need to do, which is practicing. Okay. Like if you just practice storytelling, then you'll uh, and you you talk to other people and you see how much it resonates with them. Eventually, you'll begin to learn. But there are a few things you can try. So one of the main things is you want to make sure that the your opener is a hook. You say something where tension is created. Like I could I could tell you a story right now. I woke up this morning. And I woke up, I, I reached across my bed and my wife wasn't there. And then I got out of bed. I started looking through my apartment and my wife was nowhere to be found, which has never happened before. And then I could stop right there and there's some tension. It's like, okay, well, what yeah. happened to your wife? <laughs> now, yeah. this is a, a made up story. Like, it's not true. My wife was there this morning, oh. but you get the the principle that when you, you want to start off the, the story with some kind of tension that needs to be resolved. And then when it comes to persuasive storytelling, what you're doing is you're putting the person in the situation where they're the ones that have to resolve the tension. So for crowdfunding, for example, you say this person needs a house and they're not going to get their house unless you step in and do something about it. And so that that person gets to see themselves within the framework of that story. But I would say creating tension and then creating a satisfying resolution, that is the key to storytelling. Okay. I'm with you. You're right. And so I guess the tension 
kind of shows up in the form of a question. Maybe you directly ask the question or maybe you just let it pop up, you know, themselves. And I think what's so powerful about storytelling sometimes is I find folks will, they'll start a story just as a means of, you know, exemplifying a principle or concept. And then they think, okay, well, I've exemplified the concept. But then everyone is just left hanging like, but what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they want it. Everyone wants that. They love having that resolution. And in fact, one of the biggest mistakes people will make when they first start storytelling is that they they won't resolve it. They won't put as much time into the resolution because uh, you can engage your audience just by creating tension and you can create more and more tension. This is what a lot of these series on TV have done, like Lost and most recently Game of Thrones. Like I'm sure everyone's heard about how upset people were with the ending of Game of Thrones. And it's a total rookie mistake to to build up all this tension and have all of this uh, all of this tension that needs resolution. And then at the end, kind of give a cheap ending like that's a it's a very tempting thing because you've still gotten the tension and the, the attention from your audience, but you haven't delivered and, and learning how to deliver is the ultimate, uh, the pinnacle of storytelling. Yeah, boy, you're bringing me back to my favorite TV series ever is Breaking Bad. And uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers for those who have not yet seen it. Give yourself this gift of Breaking Bad. It's extraordinary. But um, I remember, you know, toward the end, boy, those final eight episodes, oh my goodness, there was so much tension. I remember that the third to the last episode in particular, entitled Ozymandias, was kind of an episode where a lot of stuff hit the fan. And we all knew it had to. It's like, there is no way that uh, everyone's just going to be hunky-dory. <laughs> Something's <laughs> going to go down. And then I remember I couldn't wait. I was just amped, looking forward to it all week. And then I saw it. And then I was kind of sad by some of the things that happened. And I was sort of surprised at myself. It's like, Pete, did you think you would enjoy this? <laughs> you care about these characters and you know some bad stuff is going to happen to some segment of them. I was weird. I thought that this is going to be so amazing. I can't wait for this experience. And then when I saw it, I mean, it was artistically masterfully done, but it made me sad. I was like, oh man, mm-hmm. that's a bummer for those guys and gals. Yeah, I'll share one of uh, my favorite examples to go along with that because it's it's so simple. I was watching uh, The Quiet Place, which is the John Krasinski kind of horror movie. And there was one thing that they did at the very beginning of the movie because they're in this world where monsters might attack them at any moment. And there's a, there are some, there's a staircase that goes uh, from the first floor of their house to the basement. And at the very beginning of the movie, what they did was they had a nail come loose and the nail was sticking straight up. So that you knew at some point someone is going to step on that. And eventually, and what they would, what they kept doing was they kept having people walk past the nail and they would show their bare foot like oh, man. right next to the nail. <laughs> oh, and that's there throughout the entire movie. And that's just one way that uh, they masterfully uh, interwove tension into that story. Mm, that's great. Well, so I want to get a take here. Let's talk about, you know, first your world, how you're seeing this all the time. So you have founded Donor C and what's it about and how do you use storytelling there? Yes, the Donor C is like the storytelling platform. So what I'm really proud of what we've accomplished. So the way the Donor C works is whenever you give any amount of money, you get a video update on exactly how your money was used to help real people in real need. Um, and these are mostly people living in extreme poverty, like I mentioned earlier, people like Rosina, the, the person who needed a house. And so what you do is like, let's say there's a girl in India and she is deaf. You can donate money to her. You'll know her name, you'll know her story, and you'll know her hopes and dreams. And a few days after you give your donation, you'll get a video update of her hearing for the first time. And she might even say, hey, Pete, thank you for giving me these hearing aids. So it's a very personalized video update and it's a one-to-one uh, transaction that gets to happen. So that's the that's the concept behind Donor C. 
Yeah, and it's powerful. I mean, well, we got connected because, fun backstory for the listeners, my sweet wife saw a video about Donor C and the good work you're doing, and she made a donation, and she just thought it was the coolest thing. And then you, with your, you know, wise, best practice following organization, reached out to her to learn more about where she's coming from and sort of her behavior and thoughts and needs and priorities and values and whatnot to, you know, kind of optimize your stuff. And then uh, <laughs> and your colleague listened to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, my COO. <laughs> and here we are, you know, fun world coming together. Yeah, shout out to Patty Weeks because I know he's listening right now. And oh, hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm intrigued then. So then you're doing this storytelling on the front end as well with regard to, so you're having videos on um, Instagram and Facebook and places, you know, with the goal of kind of getting folks to say, oh, wow. I'd like to be a part of that and make a donation. So I'm curious. So in that kind of context of, you know, hey, short attention span, social media, et cetera, how do you do it effectively? Well, storytelling doesn't change. There, there's always the same kind of build tension and then provide resolution. And so you just have to find ways of, and you just have to find whatever is the, the hot medium, whatever it is that people are using, that's that's where you want to be. So right now we're, we test a million different things. We're on every platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and, and we do a lot of, we work with influencers and so forth. And we're constantly trying to get in front of um, whatever audience might be most receptive to us. Um, and so what we do is we just test everything. We just see where is is it that people are responding to this the most? And so far, what we found is that Facebook is where people are spending time and they're open to hear. I mean, Facebook is a platform where you're looking at stories of other people's lives on a regular basis. So it's very natural to be in your newsfeed. And then this this advertisement or sponsorship from Donorcy pops up and it's another story about another person's life and it kind of draws you in. And I think that's been why that has been successful. And Instagram, of course, too, um, also lends itself to that pretty well. Mm -hmm. And so then... I guess you're doing that same sort of stuff. Like you got video and you're creating tension in the first few seconds and then away you go. Are there any particular do's and don'ts? I mean, this isn't a digital marketing podcast, <laughs> yeah. but hey, there's plenty of those. Right, yeah. uh, I'm sure you'd be a hit there too. But um, any kind of, um, you know, do's and don'ts with the particulars of, you know, if you're putting up a post, we found that these kinds of things work well and these kinds of things don't. Well, so to go along with your tips about storytelling, another thing that is a crucial consideration whenever you're storytelling and specifically when you're trying to tell a story within an advertisement is to really consider who your audience is and who you're trying to speak to directly. And so, um, for example, I'll, I think this is a really, uh, I think this is a really helpful way of thinking about here's a, here's a failure that we had and the success that we had. So, um, there was a, a time when we would put up stories of people in need, stories like the one I told earlier of the lady who was starving and needed a house. And we would put up those stories and those resonate with a certain type of audience. Um, but then what we realized was that people were having a hard time seeing themselves in that story. I mean, seeing someone in destitute poverty, it's just so outside of your frame of reference. It's hard mm. to really um, to grasp it. And so what we started doing was we started using testimonial ads. In fact, there's this there's this couple uh, from Harvard that is they're big fans of Donorcy, and I've had the opportunity to talk to them uh, several times. And the wife is getting her MBA at Harvard, and the and the husband is getting his JD. And uh, they have this really nice picture of them, but they use Donorcy every month, and and they're really big fans of it. And so they sent in a testimonial, and so we've been running their picture with their testimonial underneath, and that seems to resonate with a certain type of audience where maybe they wouldn't necessarily see themselves, you know, in 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 this uh, in another country 
country on the other side of the world, but they do see themselves in the transformation that the donor themselves is going through. They were able to, they, they were able to grasp it because they looked at the ad and they saw someone who's more similar to them. And that was why they decided to get involved. And maybe even, I don't know how much this plays into it, but it could be aspirational. Like, dang, Harvard power couple. I'd like yeah. to be like them. <laughs> you know, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And oh, this is something that's, I don't know, successful, smart, high achieving people do mm-hmm. is that they give. And so I think that could be a, a lever in there as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll give one more example. There's, we, we have a few ads that we run for, for parents and we, and there are parents in the picture and they've got their kids and maybe they're looking at the phone or they're smiling at a camera. And the testimonial is from these people who are saying, I've used DonorC to educate my kids about global poverty. And it's been, it's created these wonderful conversations between me and my kids. Mm. And so that obviously that's not going to speak to, the 18 year old kid who's about to go to college, but for the parent who has young kids or uh, kids who are maybe even up to teenage uh, years, it, that works really, really well because they see themselves in that. So yeah, you always just, you have, you have, you think about who your audience is and then you tell stories where they can see themselves inside of it. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, so I know we do have a number of, you know, non-profiteers amongst the listenership just because they're probably curious. Oh, I'm going to go here. So, okay. You're putting money into ads and you're seeing donations flow, how's that work from like a fundraising expenditure efficiency kind of a thing? Absolutely. So totally fair question. So the way it works is um, we have overhead just like any other nonprofit organization would have overhead. And so whenever you give, there's a small percentage that gets taken out. Our percentage is 13% and that money goes to keeping the lights on and helping. We have, we have a lot of video hosting costs and so forth. Um, and, and, but you know, the vast majority of it is actually going to the people in need. And then the last thing I'll say, because people are always curious about this, I, as the CEO, make $0 a year from my organization. So, if there's any uh, doubt or if there's any uh, consideration that maybe I'm doing this kind of for my own pocket, there you go. Um, I, I fundraise separately on Patreon and people support me through that. And I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to have the opportunity to do things that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't run these organizations for free as, as much as we would all like that. And so that's that's the that's what we do. Well, that's cool. And so then the 13 percent also covers the advertising costs. Oh, yeah, that covers everything. It covers the video hosting, the advertising, the development, all that stuff. That's really cool. And you are seeing like a positive, I don't know if ROI is the right term in this context, but in terms of, hey, we spent a hundred bucks on Facebook ads and we're seeing donations of substantially more than a hundred bucks flowing through. Yeah, the term that we use, which is similar to ROI is we use return on ad spend, R-O-A-S, and our return on ad spend is positive. And uh, it's really cool because once we we get people in the door, um, we have lots of ways of keeping them engaged with our platform. What's cool about our platform, uh, not to, I mean, not to pat myself on the shoulder too much, but uh, what, what's really great about DonorSea is that it keeps you engaged. Like you, you give you give a donation, you get a video update, and then you're back on our platform with lots of more opportunities to give. And you keep getting video updates every time you do that. So we have, um, we have a really strong recurring donation base. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Let's zoom in on the typical professional. You know, I'm in the workplace and um, I got all kinds of situations where I got to be persuasive and influential. And maybe I you know, I'm a project manager. I don't have the authority to, you know, hire, fire, or give bonuses, give raises, but I need colleagues to do stuff for me so my project mm-hmm. gets done, or I just need to get some help and buy-in from other departments, etc. So how would you recommend we apply some of these principles in a workplace setting, trying to get collaboration from others? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I've been thinking about it a lot because I knew I would be on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, and this would be a main point that we would talk about. So I've been thinking about this for your for your audience specifically. And the way that I thought it would be best to think about is in terms of getting a promotion. I think that that's something that's on a lot of people's minds and something that will happen several times throughout the course of their career. And uh, what I, I think what I want to petition is that storytelling can actually get you can help you get uh, more promotions faster than any other skill that you have. Oh, there is a bold claim. <laughs> yeah. Well, well <laughs> so your audience can test it out and we can get feedback at some point. But here's here's how, I, here's how you use storytelling to get a promotion. So let's say that you have a boss and your boss has some kind of problem and he doesn't have a solution for that problem. What you want to say is, you want, this is, this is, you look for these kind of, kind of opportunities. They're not always lying around, but when you see the opportunity, then you jump on it and you go to your boss and you say, listen, I would love to help you with the problem that you're doing. I've thought a lot about it. I've thought about how I could be the solution to the issue that you're facing. The problem is I don't have enough responsibility. I haven't been given enough responsibility to help you with your problem, but I know I can do it if I'm allowed to be given this responsibility. And so what you're doing is you're putting yourself into the situation. You've created tension with this problem and, and and the promotion is how you resolve the tension. So you create tension in your boss's mind. And then the way that the tension is resolved is by your promotion. Yeah, what's interesting about that is a promotion might not happen right then and there on the spot. Like, Gret, you're right. Now you're a director, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, but it's probably like, oh, OK, yeah, sure. Gret, that'd be great for you to take on an extra responsibility and take care of this, this, this. And then some months later, it's like, well, crap, he's doing the job of director. I guess we should probably <laughs> give him the title and the, and the compensation <laughs> yeah. just so we're not flagrantly uh, unjust slash uh, at risk of losing him <laughs> to another employer. Yeah. And I think that's another way that you can create tension is you can kind of say, listen, I'm really excited about my job right now. I love what I'm doing. But, you know, unfortunately, there's another company that is offering to pay me this amount, but I really want to keep helping you with this. And um, the way that 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 can happen is if you kind of match what this other company is offering me. And so, again, you're creating tension. I'm going to leave the company unless the tension is resolved, which is that I get a raise or a promotion or something like that. And none of this is like make sure you are not like blackmailing your boss or putting yourself uh, in like an unhealthy relationship with other people. Um, but the but just the concept of creating tension where you can be the solution and you can help people. Um, I think that that is going to be a very, very powerful tool for your audience. Well, and I think that's a really good frame and, and context there in terms of like, hey, look what I got. What are you going to do about it? You know, but rather <laughs> yeah, exactly. say, I'm really enjoying this and I'd love to continue helping. But, you know, just to be honest, the level with you a little here, um, you know, I've got this tempting offer over here and, you know, my wife would sure love it if <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah. I had some extra money. It'd be awesome if, uh, I would just not even have to think or worry about that if we could by matching. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That creates the opportunity for me to just point out one more tip that I have about storytelling and that's to use vivid imagery. So when you you said, you know, my wife would love it. If you said, my wife has really been wanting this red Camaro and if I got this promotion, I'd be able to get that car for her. That puts a specific image in the person's head that they then, that, that creates a hook for them. Um, and, and they're going to, that, image is going to resonate with them and make them think about it longer than they would have otherwise. So using vi vivid imagery is a very powerful way to, to keep your, your recipients engaged. Yeah. And the, I think that the Red Camaro is vivid imagery. And I guess I'm also thinking about 
it's, it's like, to what extent, again, does it follow the principle of can they see themselves in that story? It's just like, hey, I don't drive a red Camaro. Nobody I know drives a red Camaro. I tell your wife she's going to have to hold her horses. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe a more achievable kind of a red Corolla. <laughs> you know, but it could really be just like, hey, you know what? She's just really wanting to spend some more time. I don't know, maybe like with the medical thing. You know, it's like, it would really be helpful if we could be able to do more, you know, trips to physical therapy or mm-hmm. it'd be really handy, you know, for the kids, they, boy, they love music, but it's so hard to find the time to, you know, get out to the school of folk music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it'd be, it'd be so handy if we could, I don't know, have a nanny or a chauffeur <laughs> or something <laughs> that they can relate to. It's like, yes, it's very important for children to have music in their lives. Uh, I resonate <laughs> with that. And um, so that might be more compelling, but. But you get the wheels turning here just by bringing up these principles, you know, which is great. So maybe before we shift gears, tell me, do you have any other sort of top tips you want to share about being persuasive? Yeah, I, I just think tone is very important. Um, you can you can get people's attention uh, lots of different ways, and there are you, you have a, when you become a good storyteller, you become you become very good at hooking people in. And this was kind of like we we just we're kind of graduating out of the era of clickbait. Like people are starting to get wise to it. But there was a time when people use clickbait and and attention grabbing headlines uh, to to get more traffic onto their website or to get more attention for their cause. Um, but if you don't have follow through and you don't have substance behind uh, behind your hook, then it's a very bad long term strategy. So it's just the whole package of starting with the attention grab hook with a satisfying resolution, understanding that whole framework is really important to healthy storytelling. Yeah, I think that's dead on. And I don't know what the expression was. Is it like all sizzle, no steak? Mm-hmm. You're sort of like, ooh, what's this about? It's like, oh, you don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, it's largely about, I don't know, these days I've getting so many messages on LinkedIn from people who want to sell me marketing services. Yeah, I bet. And it's kind of like, you know, I would love, I would love for my business to grow and I'd love to do more training and coaching and workshops and sell more courses or, or whatever. But it is kind of like, I don't know who the heck you are. Um, what would really persuade me? Hey, is like, I guess I want a story and with some data. It's mm-hmm. going like, Hey, here is, I don't know, a podcast or trainer, a person, you know, just like you. And, you know, they spent whatever, $5,000 and then turned that into $50,000 with our help doing these cool things. And now they're, you know, doing these great things with their business. So I think like that would be way more compelling than do you need more leads for high ticket events? It's like, I mean, well, mm-hmm. maybe, but I like, I don't, I don't know anything about you. I, I, <laughs> yeah. It's not the best way to start our relationship, you know, new LinkedIn connection. I think you just made a really good point. I, the, the data is what makes your story more compelling, but it's it's definitely secondary to the storytelling itself. So you've got the story, you've got the hook, and then people want to believe it. They want to believe that there's this tension that can be resolved and you can be the person to resolve it. But if they don't have the proof, then you're going to lose them. So I think having that data is still completely, absolutely crucial, but it should be embedded within the framework of telling a good story. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, I love this quote from Elon Musk. He says, when something is important enough, you do it even if the odds are not in your favor. Hmm, yeah, chew it on that. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So I am someone who creates awareness about global poverty. So when I saw that I'd have the opportunity to talk about a statistic, I, I wanted to use that opportunity to talk about some statistics about global poverty very briefly. So um, if you earn $34,000, then you are in the global 1%. You are wealthier than 99% of the planet, which is 
you know, mind blowing to think about, but here's, I've got two more that will, that will kind of cement this. So if you earn $4,000 a year after adjusting for cost of living, then you are wealthier than 80% of the planet. So it's only 20% of the world who's making $4,000 a year and up. And finally, if you earn a thousand dollars a year, so about $3 a day, you're wealthier than 50% of the planet. So there is an exponential regression from the poorest, from the richest people in the world to the poorest people in the world. That was a, uh, what I wanted to bring up for my statistics. Yeah. And you can take that all sorts of ways. Like, oh, wow, we have a lot of work to do to help people who are in need to, hey, I might doing so bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I guess because we tend to compare ourselves, like you said, you know, in the very beginning with neighbors and, and colleagues, you know, folks who are right in your midst. But if you zoom out, take a global perspective, it's like, you know what? I feel like uh, my salary is disappointing at whatever, $43,000, mm-hmm. which is 9,000 more than 34,000, but I'm a one percenter. So, I mean, I could probably find a way to uh, make ends meet after all. Yeah, and I bring that up not to make anyone feel guilty or anything like that. Really, the reason I bring it up is because it, when I learned it, it was perspective shifting for me. I was a private school kid growing up. I grew up in one of the wealthiest suburbs in in the U.S. And so when I learned these things, uh, it totally changed how I looked at the world and my own situation. And um, I hope that others can have that same experience. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book? This is another interesting one. So if you've seen the movie Les Mis, there's a guy at the beginning of the movie, the bishop, and uh, there, he he brings someone into his house who's a, who's a known thief, and he gives him a bed for the night because he doesn't have anywhere to sleep. And the thief ends up stealing a bunch of his stuff and running away. And that's like a, a split second. Uh, that's like a split second thing in in the movie Les Mis, the the most recent one. Um, and what happens is the guy in, ends up coming. The the police catch the thief. They bring him back. And instead of making the bishop, instead of making the thief kind of go to prison and and go back to the gallows, uh, the bishop says, "Oh, you brought him back. Thank you for doing that. I actually actually forgot to give him the most important gift of all." And he goes and gets these two silver candlesticks and gives it to the thief and says, "Like, be on your way." So the the thief kind of stole from him, and then he gave him more money out of out of this act of charity. And then that kind of was this catalyst to turn the guy's life around. So in the movie, that's like a very brief thing. But the first 100 pages of the book Les Mis, the book Les Mis is about uh, 1600 pages. The first 100 pages are all about that bishop. And I I found those 100 pages, like exploring that guy's character and the way that he thinks about the world, I found those 100 pages riveting. So if, if you're going to, I thought that that would be a different thing than what your audience is used to. Read the first 100 pages of Les Mis. Mm, yeah, well, I mean... It's beautiful just in terms of the power of mercy and um, right on. Preach it. And how about a favorite tool? The tool I was going to bring up, which I already mentioned earlier, was uh, is Facebook ads. Facebook does a really great job of reaching the audience that you are trying to find. Um, and so instead of you having to instead of you having to kind of say, well, people who like this and who like this, uh, send ads to them. What Facebook does is it, it finds people who resonate with your ads and then it shows more ads to people who have already resonated with it. Like maybe they've clicked a like or left a comment or something like that. Um, and so Facebook does a really good job of that. And I highly encourage people to check out Facebook ads for that, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? I go to the gym four times a week, whether I work out or not. So in other words, even if I don't lift weights or don't get on the treadmill or anything like that, sometimes I just go to the gym and I walk around. The only, my only threshold for what is a successful uh, health week for me is whether or not I went into the building of the gym four times a week. And that's made it, you know, once you're in the gym, obviously you're like way more likely to work out and you're around all these other people who are working out. Um, but it, it, the threshold for a successful workout is so low that it's kept me in shape for several years. That's great. Yeah. And it does wonders for just keeping the habit alive, even if mm-hmm. you do almost nothing when you show up there. 
And how about a favorite nugget, something you share that really seems to connect with folks? I always tell people to do what you're afraid of. If the only reason you're not doing something is because you're afraid of it, then you have to do it. If if there's like, you know, sometimes you shouldn't do something because it's unwise, but maybe the thing that you're afraid to do is you're afraid to go skydiving, but you can afford it. It's, you know, it's it, there's a place to skydive within 30 minutes from you. And the only reason you haven't done it yet is because you're afraid of it. Do it. And that will, that will help, uh, that habit will help create uh, many different opportunities for you in your life that, that will lead to personal development. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So right now I'm using storytelling to uh, sell my book. So I actually have a book that I'm fundraising for on Kickstarter. It's called If the Poor Were Next Door. And I would tell people to look it up on Kickstarter and back that project. Mm-hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. So the final thing is we've set up a link, DonorC.com slash awesome, uh, just for you guys. And um, if you go there, you'll be able to join DonorC and get video updates on your donations. And um, anyone who does that, there's a special offer for getting T-shirts and hats and stuff like that, if that's what if that is interesting to you. Um, but yeah, DonorC.com slash awesome. All right. Well, Gret, thanks for sharing the good word today and the great work you're doing at DonorC. I wish you lots of luck and all the cool impact you're making and folks you're helping. It's really cool. Thank you, Pete. I got such a kick out of Gret's story about storytelling and how he started with data, wasn't getting very far and switched over to the story and found so much more impact. And I get a real big kick out of this because I can tell Gret loves his data, his TEDx talk, How to Wake Up Tomorrow Morning Like a Billionaire. I link to it in the show notes. It has a a fun slide which reveals that the average American as compared to the top 1%, well, there's a 19x difference between income, you know, 59K versus 1.2 million annually in the income versus the difference between the bottom 50% of the planet or the median number there versus the average American is $621 annually versus $59,000 annually or a 95X difference. And so I find that such an interesting figure. It really puts things in perspective. You get you thinking, wow, boy, there's so much I can do to help folks who are in need there. And so I, I get a kick out of the notion that it seems like Rhett really is into these numbers and finds them intriguing and fascinating, but has learned through hard experience that the stories do more for him than the numbers, even though that's where his brain naturally frequently goes, he's going to do what's effective in terms of fulfilling the mission. And so I think that is a good lesson learned. You may very well lean one way or the other, but certainly adapt your practices, meet your audience where they are at with the message that is going to resonate with them and share that story. My favorite, I think, is probably when you can do both. Like you share the story about Rosina, and then you follow that up with, and Rosina's not alone. As a matter of fact, boom, there's the data. So you get them both. It's just like, hey, here's a real person. And whoa, there are many, many, many people in that exact same position, and we can make an impact. So anyway, that's my personal preference is to get them both. If you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F457. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It is Steve Ritter. He is back. He is talking about teams, working effectively, what to do in toxic situations, building trust. Good stuff. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.